bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop with my special guest, Andy Daniel. Hello. Thanks for hey, coming John. on with us today. Thanks for having me. One Broken Life is a, a production of Freeway Ministries, and we explore the intimate details of people's lives. Uh, we believe uh, the bigger the mess, sometimes the bigger the message. Um, and so you always hear about the negative impacts that drugs and, 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 and crime from drugs, drug addiction make in our community. But what you don't hear about is the positive impact that one radically changed ex-drug addict makes when Jesus gets a hold of them. And so, uh, and that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going we're gonna to open up your tent. We're going to look into your life. We're going to explore your life, Andy, and, uh, and hear about what God has done in your life, uh, where you come from, your, your, your brokenness, into what God is doing in your life today to give hope to our listeners. Um, and so a couple theme verses. I like to always throw these out there because I think they're very relevant. Amen. Uh, so the first one is Psalms fifty-one seventeen, and David is broken because of his sin, and in his prayer of repentance, he says, "The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise." Uh, so God meets us in our brokenness, doesn't He? He sure does. And then Philippians one twelve, it says, "Brethren, I want you to know the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel." And Paul is saying that the things that happened to me have actually, uh, the past has actually made it to where I could take the gospel places it has not gone. And uh, so, you know, two preachers sitting in the room together, we both want to get fired up and that's right, and uh, and, um, and start uh, sharing that sharing the scripture. So let's let's listen our listeners, our viewers, um, at one broken life. Let them kind of hear just a few minutes here. What was your life like growing up, Andy? So growing up uh, as a child, I was raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad were Christian. I, I would almost say that it's a stereotypical, great white picket fence, great home. Had two sisters. Uh, they took me to church. And uh, everything really didn't change until I got into high school. And then once I got into high school, you know, they always say, stop, run, don't run with the bad crowd. Well, I was a bad crowd. So um, I, I just, I, I got into to sex, drugs, um, smoking uh, and alcohol, and it just snowballed and snowballed. So by the time I turned 16, I, I stepped away from, uh, I was a straight A student in, in high in all through school, uh, would go to church with my, my parents. Um, and, but by the time I, by the time I got into high school, uh, I, I was getting drunk, uh, grades were slipping, uh, having, uh, premarital sex, uh, just, 
just um, slipping further and further down into sin, but I liked it. I liked my sin, and uh, I defended it. So um, at my high school graduation, I was drunk. Uh, my best friend, who was sitting next to me, threw up all over himself, uh, and we both thought that was the funniest thing, uh, you know, there ever was. And um, looking back on it, it's, you know, just the foolishness that it was rooted in is is unbelievable. I managed to uh, to get uh, a, a singing scholarship to Southwest Missouri State in 96 and a partial academic scholarship, uh, but flunked out within a year because I was more um, concerned about getting high. I skipped class. Um, and so within a year, uh, after two semesters, they just kicked me out of the school. Uh, flunk, not only did I lose my scholarships, but I couldn't even come back if I wanted to pay uh, for it because I got all Fs just, just from not going. And then after that, I, I slowly just slipped into to, to becoming a bartender and a drug dealer. And it just snowballed after that. And um, so by the age of um, in 1998, so I would have been 20 years old, uh, left a party after drinking a fifth of tequila, uh, got in, a, in an accident and left that scene of that accident. I, I fender, I rear-ended uh, somebody. Uh, they didn't get hurt, uh, but I damaged the car uh, and just took off and made about another mile down the, down the road in my Camaro and then just blacked out and went straight through a fence into a field. And then I was woke up by the Missouri Highway Patrol. Uh, and that's when uh, that's the case that I eventually caught my first felony on, leaving the scene of an accident, uh, being drunk. So, uh, as we as we talk through this, you know, kind of telling about your backstory, um, you you did have a good home, uh, you did have a Christian home, a good positive environment, and so that's one of those things to where you know our viewers and our listeners they can kind of think that you know sometimes uh, you can do the best job raising your kids and provide the best atmosphere, and they still use and they still you know turn to drugs and alcohol and so it's it's not always the environment's fault it's not always you know uh the the atmosphere that they're raised in sometimes it happens and a lot of parents will blame themselves you know what did i do wrong and so you're you're an example of that happening yeah and let me add on to that not only did they do wonderful and taking me to church i believe the gospel i believed it was all true I, I believed that if you didn't put your faith and repent of your sins into Jesus Christ, you would not make it to heaven. You would go to hell. But I was unwilling to repent because I love my sin so much. Okay. So I even believed it. Uh, but I would not, would not turn to Jesus uh, wow. because I knew uh, what that would involve. And that meant giving up my sin and, and turning away from it. And I loved it too much. So how was that on your mom and dad as, far, as we kind of think about your family? Uh you know, throwing up, being drunk, being drunk at your high school graduation. I mean, I know that was got that had to be hard on them, right? It 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 uh broke their heart, and it got progressively worse. You know, and I'm sure we'll get there, but it got to where uh, towards the end, once I got into meth, you know, right the last few years before I got saved, uh, I would go over to their house after being up for a week and uh and crash you know i was homeless and uh they'd give me a meal and i'd wait for them to fall asleep and i'd go sneak out into their shop and steal tools to go pawn to go buy more meth and so it just got it got progressively worse to where i was literally biting the hand that fed me and loved me and oh, yeah. so um you know one of the 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 the, the greatest things that jesus took for me on the cross is the guilt and shame uh that i 
that I had because of what I did to my parents, you know. Um, but he he died for that too. Amen. There's a I don't have a favorite verse, but if I did, this would probably be it. Uh, I've got several verses that I really enjoy and kind of preach to myself. Yeah. And Colossians 1, 21, 22, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. But uh, when I preach, a lot of times I'll preach, I'll do a, an invitation, and I just got to nudge me, hey, share that. And, and, uh, and, you know, our people group, people who come from generational crime, addiction, and poverty, or addiction, crime, and poverty, whatever, uh, that background, because they're connected, right? Mm-hmm. You get on drugs, you commit crime, you're poor. I mean, generally, that's where you head, right? And end up homeless. But uh, Colossians 1, 21, 22, it says, To you who are once alienated, enemies in your own mind, by your own wicked deeds, he's now reconciled, to right. present you blameless, irreprovable, and above reproach in his sight. It says, through the body of his flesh and his death, uh, that he brought you to a place to where even you're an enemy in your own mind, even though you're self-accusing, even though, you know, people can pull a dirt up on you and it'll be true. Mm-hmm. But in his sight, you are above reproach. No one can make an accusation against you. Right. And that's a beautiful truth, you know, being a Christian today. So, uh, yeah. Uh, one thing to add to that, too, what, what struggled with me uh, at first was I was trying to forgive myself, you know, and you'll hear this a lot. You need to learn how to forgive yourself. Well, then what did Jesus die for? And so when, when, when I let Jesus take that and forgive that, then it took all the burden and guilt and shame off of me, and I gave it to him. And um, it's just, it was so uplifting. Amen. Free. Yeah. Freedom. Uh, so you say your, you were, your, your family was, uh, you know, stereotypical Christian environment. I guess you went to church. Yeah, we went to Bibles. Harmony Baptist in Spring or in Rogersville, Missouri. Okay, shout out to Harmony Baptist. Amen. Uh, yeah. Don't know them, but we'll give them we'll give them yeah. a shout out. Uh, so, who did you look up to then, as a youngster? My dad. You, so you your dad was a sub- sober man of God. Yeah. And you were a drunk, and <laughs> you're looking up to him. Well, I mean, I looked up to him until I became a drunk, and then uh, I looked up to. Uh, to, to, to be honest, once I turned 15 or 16 and got into the drugs and alcohol, movie stars, you know, rock and roll, uh, bands, secular bands, uh, you know, things like that is what I looked up to. And I stopped looking up to, to my parents. So that along with the shift in to, to, to focused on sin also came to what I looked up to. Yep. So going up in a Christian home, what was it like being homeless? Uh, once I became homeless, you know, uh, I was blinded by the, the meth addiction, so I didn't care. I mean, I, I didn't care about anything. I was so focused on meth. I mean, it did not matter. Um, I, I never even thought about it that I was homeless, you know, until my mom, I would meet up with her every couple of weeks because she just wanted to see me, and she'd be like, you're homeless. And I'm like, well, no, I'm staying on his couch or their couch. Or, and she's yeah. like, yeah, that's what homeless is. And, uh, and so, but I didn't care as long as I could get that dope. So uh, believe it or not, I was bl- I was blinded by everything. Uh, I even had a I have a 22 year old son. Uh, so at this time, he was you know the ages of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and uh, I'll never forget. Um, and, and our relationship is still um, I'm still facing the consequences of that. Uh, I'd be sitting there getting high, and the phone would ring, and it'd be him. His mama took him down to Texas uh, after I became so strung out just to get him away from me, which was a smart move, you know, to a degree. And uh, the phone would ring, and it'd be him, and I'd hit silence, and I'd 
put that phone aside and just keep on getting high. And so I didn't even care about my son. And this yeah. is a nine-year-old who's calling me just to say, Daddy, I love you. I want to talk to you. And I wouldn't even give that to him because I was so focused on the dope. Well, unfortunately, uh, it's idolatry. And yeah. um, and that's I, – I tell people because there's a lot of people that will say, uh, I don't know how to identify with someone who's a drug addict, you know, because they want to minister to people who are come from our background. But what they don't realize is they know how to be selfish. And uh, drug addiction is the ultimate form of selfishness. And that's what sin is. Absolutely. Sin is selfishness. Satan is a selfish devil. Uh, he wants you to put you first. And he doesn't care what you do as long as you're number one. That's right. And that's why you hear, I mean, if you just, all you got to do is look at the billboards. All you got to do is listen to the radio. Uh, all you got to do is hear the commercials. And you can see the influence of the world, which is the system he operates, the world system. In the Bible, it says world. That means world system. Right. And uh, it's not the trees and the birds. It's a system that is pushing an agenda, which is satanic. And, um, and it's all about you. And so I is in the middle of sin, I is in the middle of pride. Uh, he is the father of pride. And so um, so what does addiction do? Addiction is the ultimate form of selfishness because what happens is, and, and I'm telling you something you know, but I'm telling somebody on this podcast something they don't know. Right. So it's just, just to think about this. Um, so sin, uh, selfishness, if you just think about it for a minute, uh, what happens when you become a drug addict? You stop caring about what? Everything but your addiction. Everything but your your lust, right? Your 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 mistress, your idol is 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 on the throne now. And so, what does addiction do? It is so it is so uh, captivating, and it is such a master over your life, uh, such a such a ruler over you. Uh, you know, Romans six says. Uh, you don't have to let sin be your sin, reign over your mortal bodies that you may obey its lust because of what Christ did. And that word reign in the Greek in Romans 6 is be your king. You don't have right. to let meth be your king. So I'm going on a tangent, but I feel like I need to say this. It's great. Uh, so addiction gets you so selfish that you don't even care about you. Right. You don't care about your health. You don't care about your family. You don't care about your food. You don't care about your shelter. You don't care about your freedom. You don't even care if you live or die. Nothing. You're so selfish. And uh, and so um, that's why you wouldn't answer the phone for your son. And it was because meth had taken over and was ruling your life. Um, and so God had freed you from that. And we're kind of uh, talk through that broken place in your life, Andy. But my, I just have a few things to ask you. Um, when did you know your life was out of control? So there was a, and I call this, it, I, I relate this to the parable of the, prod, of the prodigal son. There was a point when I was in the, the muck of the pig pen when I came to my senses. And it was about a week before I got saved uh, at Freeway in 2014. And uh, my life by, by 2014 had gotten so out of control. I was a bartender my whole life or for the last 15 years. Couldn't even hold a bartending job. Uh, wouldn't show up. They caught me stealing booze. Uh, I made probably over a thousand dollars a week i was really good at bartending and it wasn't enough money because it couldn't and i didn't have any bills i didn't have a car i didn't have rent and a thousand dollars a week cash wasn't enough money because i was doing so much meth and i was stealing stuff 
And so I was homeless. And uh, it got to where once that money stopped coming in, I couldn't fund my addiction anymore. And the drug dealer, uh, the meth dealer that, um, this this is a crazy story, um, that uh, I used to get my meth from would always front me, you know, like give me some dope on the front. Well, he fronted me $50 worth of dope. Uh, and then I lost my job the next day. And then a few weeks went by. I obviously didn't call him up and tell him I didn't have it. I just avoided him. And one day, uh, him and two other guys kicked in a door of the trap house where I was staying. And they found me. They roughed me up. They tied me up. They put me in the back of a, of a car and drove me out to an abandoned mobile home, tied me up in a chair, electrocuted me with a taser, and put a loaded 9 millimeter in my mouth, cocked a trigger, handed me a phone, and said, if you don't give us our $50, we're going to kill you. So my life it came down to $50. And that was the moment that I snapped, like something started snapping in my head and in my heart. And, um, and so I got a hold of somebody and I was traded uh, in Springfield, Missouri, in a Walgreens parking lot at two o'clock in the morning at gunpoint, like you'd see on the movies. You got the money? Yeah, all right, you can have Andy. Uh, the next day I, t- I went to Clarity Rehab and, and, and just turned my, just I said, I need help. Um, I saw somebody get murdered uh, at a park in downtown Springfield two days earlier at a drug deal that I was trying to get drugs from. I wasn't part of it, uh, but I knew the guy that got shot and killed. So in the matter of three to four days, I saw someone get killed, and then I had a loaded gun in my mouth. And uh, I'm pretty good at math. And, and if you start adding those things up, you know, and I'm, you know um, that, that Andy wasn't going to be here much longer. And so... Uh, anyways, I, I go to this rehab and I'll never forget my, my mom took me to rehab and when I was getting out, um, uh, I'll never forget. She looked at me and she said, Andy, what do you want out of life? And I said, well, I know I don't want this. And she said, you need God, you need God. And so I get checked into detox. This is a Monday night. It's, it's July, June 29th or 28th, 2014, uh, 2014, a Monday night. I get checked into detox. It's about five o'clock, five 15. And I just sit down in this room. Uh, I have no possessions. I have this double duffel bag of just uh, clothes that I had accumulated. I was wearing sandals, a t-shirt and shorts. It was June in Missouri. And I sit there and I just start crying in, in rehab and just start praying for God, you know, to help me. Uh, because I, I knew if, as soon as I left that rehab in 30 days, there's going to be, I was going to be back in the action, you know, a gun was going to be put to my head or, or whatever. I just couldn't manage my life. And, uh, so I just, start praying to God to help me. And I'm sitting there crying. And literally as I'm praying that, Casey Merrick and Doug, I can't remember Doug's last name. Doug Douglas. Doug Douglas, knock on the door. They only came to to detox one night a week. And in God's providence, he had me checked into that room 15 minutes before they knocked on the door. And they looked at me and said, hey, are you okay? And I said, man, I'm just praying to God for help. And they looked and God sent them. God sent them, and he said, why don't you come out here and sit at this table with us? And they shared with me the gospel. Casey shared his testimony. They gave me a Bible. They prayed with me. Uh, and, and Casey said, you just start reading out of the book of John and, and just start asking God to speak to you through his word, and um, and you start praying to him. And, uh, you know, on, later on on that Saturday, they came and picked me up. Mike Costello drove the van, and I, I went down on July 5th. And I couldn't wait to get down to the altars to get saved, so I'm pretty sure I called July 5th, 2014, my salvation date. But if I can't wait to get down to the altars to get saved, you know, God, yeah. I was probably saved July 4th or 3rd, you know, or somewhere before then. Uh, but that's that's there's so many things that make my salvation so apparent to me. Uh, that that gun, loaded gun being in my mouth was the worst and greatest moment of my life, okay? Um, 
God used that to draw me close to him. And then uh, just the, I've never been slapped so hard in the face with an answered prayer when I'm literally on my knees crying for God to help me. And he sends two men with the Bible, you know, sends Jesus. Uh, and, and, and so uh, and, and it's, I've just never looked back. I mean, it's just never been the same. Now, something I want to say, it's not like this with all addicts. In fact, I would say it's not like this with most addicts. But the moment that, that I repented and, and gave my life to Christ, I've never craved another sick. I've just, it's, I've never had a physical craving. Uh, I remember when I moved in the men's uh, discipleship house uh, right after I got out of rehab, I had a, my, a half a pack of cigarettes. So I was smoking cigarettes going into rehab and they let us smoke there. And uh, the, the, the day that, that week I stopped smoking, uh, I'm sure, you know, right whenever the Holy Spirit moved in and I'll never forget uh, like a month after living into the house, one of the guys were out of cigarettes and said, man, I wish I had some cigarettes. And I was like, Hey, I just forgot in my bag. I still got some from whenever I quit. Like I just never even, I mean, it was just, I mean, I was a new creation in the blink of an eye and, um, Amen. Yeah. So you covered like five of my questions. Sorry. No, you're doing good. I get fired up and I just get steamrolling. No, you, uh, you know, you, you covered them and it's, it's a good thing. You know, you're sharing your story and, uh, you know, God does slap us in the face with answer prayer and he also does amazing things. We off totally off subject. Um, you were out in the parking lot with some other men, church planner men, friends of ours, and uh, two of them come from, you and the other guy come from addiction, the other one's a cop, ex-cop, you know, all brothers in Christ now, uh, you know, serving the Lord, helping other people that are in your past shoes. But um, I had a detective call me today, and, uh, you know, just speaking of how God's sovereign hand works, and he said, I got a girl that really needs help, and she says she wants to change her life, and he's a police officer, and he says, you know, he says, uh, can you help her for me? And it's like the cops are calling me for help now. Yeah. And uh, and he brings her up here, and one of our girls, uh, you know, takes her to the back and and leads her to the Lord, and she gets saved today, you know. And I got to call that police officer, and he said, I've been working with this girl for four years and didn't think she'd ever change, you know. And she came in with tears of, tears of brokenness, and she left with tears of joy, you know, with a Bible in her hand. And that God is like laughing out loud, you know, like, can you believe that? You Amen. know, you, you bet you never seen that coming today, did you? It wasn't That's on right. my calendar. That's right. And, uh, but it was on his. So that was your situation in that detox center. Uh, and I remember, you know, uh, I remember you in the program and your joy and, uh, but we're going to get into that. Let, let's, uh, we're going to, we're, we're kind of in the BC right now. And then we're gonna we're gonna be before Christ, and we're gonna jump into the after Christ. But Amen. My my question for you is: uh, You've already shared your salvation experience, but uh, when did you realize that your life was that there was hope for you? When 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 Casey and Doug knocked on the door, that's that's when I realized uh, that it was that that there was hope. Um, that's when I I mean I just I knew that God had sent them, and um, and so I trusted in that. Um, I, something I want to talk about, my parents, my grandmother, uh, men in the church that they used to take me to laid all these seeds in my heart. And that's where I, I defaulted to was to God. You know, I was saying that jailhouse prayer. I did believe the gospel. Um, but the harvest came, 
uh, with Casey uh, whenever mm-hmm. Casey came. And so that's, uh, you know, through the, the, diff- the gun being put to my head, seeing someone killed, all these things led up. Uh, and the fact that everybody had poured into me, even though I rejected it, when Casey knocked on that door, had, had not all of the hundreds of people that, and I don't want to say failed, but didn't lay those seeds in my heart that you need God, you need God. It was them saying that and, and God working in my heart and then Casey coming. And that was the time when I stepped forward and I knew that, that there was hope. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So, uh, and, and something else I want to say too, he came on a Monday night and then Mike came and picked me up on a Saturday night. And uh, you talked about that smile I have. When I walked in there, Casey stopped me, and he goes, there's something different about you. And I said, yes, sir, there sure is. And so um, it was just a change. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll talk more about that whenever we get to the, the after Christ. Well, that's where we're headed right now. Amen. And so uh, you, you get saved. Mm-hmm. You get in the men's house. What was it like living in the men's house? You know, the men's house, uh, it, it was it was crazy, crazy good. Um, I, there were people that actually wanted to see me, see me. I'm, I'm just saying like, we're interested in Andy, uh, as a drug addict and especially in, in the meth world. Uh, I, I think I may have learned this from you or, 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 some, or somebody else, but we look at people for two different reasons. You're either some, someone I can get something from, or you're in my way of getting what I want. That's the only way I would ever look at a person. And that's the only way people would ever look at me. But I get it. I got it. You know, I was part of that game or part of that lifestyle. Uh, and people in the in the uh, freeway house didn't look at me that way. So it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable to be around people who weren't trying to get something from me, uh, but were actually were, were trying to help me. Uh, and then what the, what the house was modeled after, the two big takeaways, and, I, and when I, up in Rapid City, we have women's houses in the freeway. And I, when I talk to women, I tell them the two things I learned the most was obedience, you know, obedience to God, obedience to authority, but also self-sacrifice. So we were just talking about uh, this selfishness that we have for our sin. Uh, being in that house, uh, by, and when I first moved in, there were only two or three guys there, but then we had the same six guys in there for six months. And, and it made me, at first it was hard, you know, sharing uh, bunks and rooms with, with, with different men, but then it taught me that it's not about me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it started, it, it, it was out of the frying pan and into the fire of putting others first. Uh, so I was learning obedience and submission to the Word of God, uh, to the authority, to the local church, to you, uh, to Rick, uh, to Mike A., you know, to the house leader, uh, and that, but also learning that, um, it, that, that these men, that, I, that, that you know what I mean, that, that it's not about me anymore. Um, it's about Jesus and others. And these men at, the, at that moment represented the others, you know, so they're in my context. So. Amen. So uh, I have you in my phone as little Andy D. Yeah. Because it was a big Andy. There were three of us. And a little Andy. That's what I remember. Well, there was also Andy Marshall. Okay, Andrew Marshall. There were three Andys. Yeah, and so I remember that uh, very well. So you meet your wife. Uh, You're about to graduate. Uh, You told me, me and you talked, and there was a a woman who was a single lady, and you guys hit it off, and you knew she liked you, and and you liked her. And we won't go into too many details about how that worked out, because that was kind of of a deal we kind of arranged, but... You ended up uh, 
you ended up courting that woman. I did. And uh, she is your wife? She is. And let me, let me uh, talk about Tabitha for a moment. When they tell you, when you hear, hey, you just need to go find you a good church girl, she needs to be on the cover of that flyer. Um, who would have figured? So I'm a two-time convicted felon, uh, bartender, drug dealer, homeless, meth addict. Clown. Clown, yeah. Shriner clown. Used to be a Shriner clown. Uh, Tabitha uh, has never touched drugs. Has never. Uh, in fact, one of the guys that uh, that I was... Uh, that the one of the after I got saved and I was living in the house, my buddy Mark, uh, uh, whenever I was started uh, uh, courting her, he ran a background check on her. He goes, "Let's find out something about this girl." And he goes, "She don't exist. Like she ain't ever even had a parking ticket, you know." And and uh, when I share my testimony, like when 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 Tabitha watches this podcast, she's just going to sit there and scratch her head and be like, "I just can't ever believe that Andy." Like it's hard for her to to understand that I used to be the way I was, but she never knew me before I was saved. She knew me after I was saved. And what a testimony to Christ that is, you know, to just the new creation that it's, that it's hard for my wife to sit through when I share a testimony, my testimony for her to believe that I used to be the person I was. And so, um, you know, if you would have ever looked at my wife, Tabitha, and said, you know, one day you're going to marry a two-time convicted felon meth meth addict, you know, that would just be the craziest thing uh, in the world, but I'm not that person anymore, am I? Amen. So you married Tabitha. Yep. You have one, two, three kids. Yeah. Uh, two boys and a little girl. And I, I just got done meeting, uh, fellowshipping with your son, Andrew, right? Aaron. Aaron. Aaron, Ben, and Rose. And uh, Aaron uh, Aaron told me he was at your wedding. Yeah. And uh and I tried to convince him that he really wasn't there. Yeah. And your wife was there. And I said, well, you might have you might have been on your way that night. And yep. she got red-faced. And well, she and listened. I believe that. I believe that. <laughs> she walked away. Yeah. You know, Tabitha, she's embarrassed easy. Yeah. I said, you might have been on your way that night. Yeah. And uh, she just looked at me, but I got her with that one. But anyways, he was like, I was there. I was there. And uh, But you got three beautiful children. Uh, let's talk about your, your who you are today. Um Share who are you today? What are you What are you doing with your life right now? Right. So, um, right after Tabitha and I got married, uh, we we got an apartment. I was working at the restaurant. Tabitha was working at the hospital, and um, and I started. Uh, I mean, really doing. I think what all what all new Christians do. What's next, God? What do you want from me? I'll get whatever you want. I'm yours. What is it? You know the the, the million dollar question. And so I start reading through his word, uh, you know, going to church and just praying on this and praying on this. And at a men's conference at Crossway, um, there was an altar call for men that were that were called into to leadership. And I surrendered. Uh, God just uh, wrote my heart and, and just got a hold of me hard and, and, and said, you're mine, you know, for ministry. Uh, so I surrendered. Uh, that was in the summer of or spring or summer of 20. 16 i enrolled at baptist bible college uh, later on that fall uh, in the fall of 2016 in the fall of 2016 i was at a missions conference at the school and lonnie learman who's the pastor of of granbury baptist church in granbury texas did a breakout session so actually what happened was is 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 the conference started off and there was a main session and we were in the main uh chapel of, of bbc and then there were breakout sessions and uh, I, I didn't know which one to go to. I didn't know. So I just stayed where I was, and it was a church planning one, right? And so Lonnie Learman did it on church planning, and it just 
you know, God, God planted that seed in my heart and it just grew and grew and grew. In 2017, the later on my freshman year of that fall or that spring, uh, there was a, another conference and there was a pastor from Montana that was there and uh, he was pleading with the student body. We need help in the Dakotas, Wyoming, Montana. I mean, tears were just falling down his face. He said, it's not like it is in Missouri or Texas or, or Georgia. Uh, there's not a, he had this map and he, there was a thumbtack in the middle of the state of Montana with this big circle. And it was like 150 miles and there were two other churches. You know, it's just, there's the, the harvest is plenty, the workers are few. And so he just asked us all to, to start praying to see if God would be calling us to, to the Montana, Wyoming, Dakota part of the, the nation. So I go home and I tell Tabitha, I said, okay, I think God's called us to be church planters in the Mon Montana, Dakota, Wyoming area of the country. And she goes, but it's cold up there. And I said, well, yeah, it's cold. But uh, anyways, that was in 2017. And I said, let's just pray on it. And so the years go by, 2018, 2019, 2020, and it just grows and it just grows and it just grows. And about a week before COVID hit, I was the missions intern for, for Paul Schaefer at Crossway Baptist and just I say out of the blue, but this is in God's providence. One day, out of the blue, Pastor Paul looks at me and he goes, Andy, you're graduating uh, Bible college next year. Where do you think God's calling you? Where do you think that, that, that he's going to uh, call you to be? And I said, well, I know this sounds crazy and very specific, but I believe he's called uh, me and my family to be church planners in the Montana, Dakota, Dakota's, Wyoming area of the country. And his jaw about hits the ground. And I'm like, what's up? And he goes, you're not going to believe this. But just three days ago, uh, we had a pastor, Kenneth Brock, from Rapid City, South Dakota, call the staff here at Crossway for us to pray uh, that, that God would raise a family up out of Crossway to plant a church in Box Elder, South Dakota. And then you just walk in my office three days later without knowing that and saying, hey, I believe God's called us to be church planters to South Dakota. So he puts Kenneth on the phone, on speakerphone, and he goes, you're not going to believe this. I didn't tell him about our your, your, your phone call. He just walked in my office and said this to me. And so I said it to him and Kenneth starts crying and he's like, he just repeated back my prayer to me. When can you fly up to South Dakota? So I flew up there, prayer walked it. God sealed it in my heart. Um, I flew back home, flew Tabitha back up there two weekends later. And so she prayer walked it with me because she's, she's, uh, we're one. And so she has to be in on it too, you know, and God had to answer it in her heart. And she was like, this is it, you know? And so we assessed with two church planning, um, uh, agencies, Apex through the BBFI, Send Network through uh, the, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, we got uh, the green light on both. Uh, I've, I've graduated Bible College in May of 2021, and we were in South Dakota on June 1st of, of 2021. Um, and so, uh, we went up there as church planners to plant in Box Elder, South Dakota. The first 10 weeks we were there, we knocked uh, hundreds of houses to, to push our Bible study out of our home. So uh, it, on August 15, 2021, just 10 weeks after moving there, we, we had our first Bible study. And I was like, I was hoping for like five, six people to show up. We were going to serve dinner. I started a Bible study out of the book of Ephesians, and we had 33 people show up. And so I was, like, stressed. We didn't have enough food. I sent Tabitha to Taco Bell, I think, to go buy more tacos for everyone. And and uh, we've never looked back. And that 33 uh, stayed around that number and became our church planting team. And we planted in Box Elder Easter Sunday, a 20, uh, Easter Sunday, April 17th of 2022, uh, Mercy Gate Church in Box Elder. And so we just had our one-year anniversary. We've tripled in size, and, and, and we're growing. So. Amen. Awesome. So uh, 
So you help with the freeway Rapid City? I do. And preach it's, there? Yeah, and, once a month. So every the whole church does. So every fourth Saturday of the month, Mercy Gate Box Elder. So we're a suburb of Rapid City. Uh, where, where Freeway is, we're about 12 miles away, so not far at all. Uh, our whole team comes in. And so I do the preaching. Our people do the child care. Our food team comes in and cooks the food. And our worship team comes in and does the music. And so, um, amen. Yeah, we do. And then I also do transportation for Freeway as well. So how do you feel now that you're a pastor on the other side of this thing? You deal with people in addiction today? I do, all the time. And okay. it's my heart. Um, I, I, I share them my story and it's the second greatest story I know because it involves the greatest story ever. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. What's your biggest struggle in ministry, Andy? My biggest struggle in ministry, I would have to say is, uh, not being able to save people. Okay. I, I know that sounds crazy, uh, but I wish I see, I, you know, I see people who, who struggle with sin, who struggle with addiction, and, and I can't save them. Uh, I, I have the message, you know, uh, and, and, and probably pouring into people who um, it makes me think of the parable of the soils. They seem like they're on fire for God, and they're doing good, and they're doing good, and I disciple, and I pour into them, and then they sometimes they step off and fall off, you know, fall away, and it's just heartbreaking. You know, Christianity is so relational, and to just pour all this love into people, and I'm not saying it's not worth it. It's totally worth it, you know, uh, but it's heartbreaking to see. Um, so those would be the two things. So what challenges do you face today? Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I don't know. Marriage, parenting, ministry. Probably ministry. Uh, the marriage is great. Um, uh, you with, better say that. Amen. Right? Yeah. <laughs> marriage is great with Tabitha. Uh, the the kids are great. Um, right now, as the church grows, uh, I would say our biggest help. And if there's anyone listening to this uh, that's looking for a place to go, uh, be part of a ministry, uh, is we grow. We need more leaders. Uh, so I'm in such an unchurched area of the country. All, all of our uh, believers, most 90% of them are new believers. And so I need more mature Christians. And I'm, we're training them, you know, and discipling them. But I need seasoned Christians, you know, uh, more seasoned Christians. So uh, finding leadership within the church is probably one of the biggest uh, struggles that, that, I, that we have. What, so what's your biggest burden right now? The, 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 the lost Absolutely. The lost in our, our community. I live in a town, if you include the Air Force Base, uh, Ellsworth Air Force Base, of over 20,000 people. And there's three churches and less than 200 people go to church in a town of 20,000. I'd never even heard of anything like that. And so my biggest burden is to share uh, the, the, the gospel uh, with, with the lost in my community. So I know your father did pass away. In 2019. Uh, he got to see you, though. Uh, you know, your life changed, which is awesome. And I seen your mom kind of floating around a little bit at the fellowship week last night. What's happening today? What's happening? Uh, your mom is about to watch you do something at Bible college this week, right? Yeah. So uh, in two days on Friday, I graduate with my master's uh, from Baptist Bible College, master's of arts in, in church ministry. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me a homeless, drunk, meth addict who couldn't make it as a bartender is a pastor and can I have a master's degree at the Bible college? Yeah, but we know it's not me because I told you what my life is like without God. Amen. And can I share something about my dad? Absolutely. 
right after I got saved, uh, this is when I was still in the, in the freeway house. Um, I, I, I go to my dad's house, I knock on the door, he opens up the door and he looks at me and he's like, what do you want? You know, you ain't supposed to be coming around here. We love you. We pray for you, but you ain't coming in here and tricking me and stealing my stuff. And, uh, I looked at him and I said, dad, I got saved. And he could see it in my eyes. He knew it was true. His tear, he was a believer. A tear ran down his cheek. And I had this piece of paper. You know, we, had, we, we hugged, we talked, we prayed. And I had this piece of paper. And remember I told you I stole stuff from him? Table saws. I mean, just whatever I could. And I went through and I wrote down everything on this piece of paper and looked up its price online of what I thought I stole from him and came up with this grand total. And it was like $20,000 worth of stuff. And so I... Uh, he goes, what's that paper you got in your hand? And I said, Dad, this is everything that I can remember. Because he didn't know everything I stole from him. And uh, I said, this is everything I think that I've stolen from you, and I'm going to pay it all back. And he picked up that piece of paper. He wouldn't even look at it, crumpled it up, and threw it across across the, uh, the, 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 the room we were in. And he said, I would have given everything I had for you to be saved. I don't care about that stuff. I got you. Amen. And he died a few years later. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Are you happy? I'm joyful. I'm beyond happy. Amen. Uh, you know, I was happy when I got high, but I'm joyful now, and I got a joy that no one can steal. What brings you joy? Jesus, uh, fellowship with God, uh, serving the Lord, serving others. Uh, you know, Mike Estelle at our freeway banquet a few weeks ago, and, and uh, he'll have to forgive me because I'm going to steal this from him for the rest of my life. But we serve God by serving others. And so what brings me joy is, is serving, other, or serving God by serving others. Amen. I asked our people at our volunteer banquet, um, I told them, I said, what if the only thing you got to keep is what you gave away? And uh, there's a scripture in Matthew 6, and it says, lay up your treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust is not destroying thieves, do not breaking the steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And literally, one day, the only thing you will have is what you've given away. That's right. And uh, and and for me, I got to be careful because I'll give it all away. And uh, um, <sighs> it's just so cool uh, to to see God work, you know, um, and to see God use people from such a messed up background and uh and get all the glory from it so we don't have anything to boast about today the only thing we have to boast about is jesus thank you my brother hey thank you. you yeah appreciate you it's all uh, jesus thank you for coming on andy friends if you've enjoyed uh this production of, of one broken life this doesn't go on without freeway ministries right. uh one broken life is a podcast uh and a production of freeway ministries if you want to support this work uh, you can go to freeway-ministries.com, and you can you can help give to that. And uh, you can be a one-time supporter. You can be a monthly giver. Uh, very grateful uh, to have you on to, to Andy. Andy, tell tell them where your church is again, and how they can find a find where you are. You're at. Maybe somebody in South Dakota is watching this. Yeah, so I, we're in Box Elder, South Dakota, which is in the Black Hills of South Dakota, like 30 minutes from Mount Rushmore. We're also the home of Ellsworth Air Force Base. That it's that will receive the new B-21 Stealth Raider bombers in 2025. Uh, but if you're if you're looking for a place to come serve God, uh, our website is www.mgbe.church. Uh, but come find us. Uh, come come reach out to me. And uh, if you're if you, if you if you're wanting to serve the Lord, we're we're 
we're, we're serving the Lord up there. And Amen. Um, Amen. Thank you. Well, y'all have a good day. Thanks for joining us. Share this with your friends if you enjoyed it. Uh, you know, there's people that need to hear this message. So Amen. thank you. Thank you.